How you guys doing out there? Good? Feeling uplifted? <laughs> hey, we're starting our new series today, uh, Surge the Movies. We typically do a series drawn from the movies that ends on Oscar Sunday. However, this year, if you haven't figured it out yet, they moved the Oscars up from what usually was late February last year, early March, to today, the 9th of February. So we're starting the series, uh, movie series, on Oscar Sunday. I think we selected four fantastic movies to talk about over these next few weeks, starting with the one I think should have been up for Best Picture. I think it's better than four of the ones that got nominated, but what do I know? Apparently, the Academy still detests women writers, producers, and directors. Pray for them, okay? Uh, Missing great movies, I think, and nominations has created a call from some that the Academy voters should be forced to prove that they've actually seen the movies that they're nominating. I think that might be a good, good thing. I'd vote for that. So enough of that. Okay, if you haven't been paying attention so far, uh, we did the trailer at the beginning and then this clip uh, we just showed you. The movie for today is called The Farewell, written by and directed by a Chinese gal named Lulu Wang. And it's based on a real-life experience from her own family. It's already won 30 awards from various film festivals, including a Golden Globe for Aquafina, who plays Billy, uh, the best actress in the, in the thing. So let, let's start with this. Who out there has actually seen this film? Yeah, yeah. Ha! Just as I predicted, right? And because of that, here's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, I know you guys are probably just stuck on the Hallmark Christmas movies, okay? I get it, I get it. That's what, that's what you're stuck on, right? But anyway, here's what we're going to do. You've seen the trailer. You've just uh, met in the clip I just showed you three people. Billy, played by Aquafina, and her mom and dad. Uh, they live in New York City, having moved from China when Billy was just a little tyke uh, for a better life. And as such... Billy is, even though she's of Chinese origin, is very much an American culturally. So she's totally aghast, right, that uh, one, her grandmother, Nai Nai, over in China, has stage four lung cancer, and that there's nothing that anybody can do about it. And, and two, that the immediate family has decided not to tell her the diagnosis. My, my guess is this that most of you, most of us, being Americans, are totally wigged out by this concept of secrecy, right? I mean, how many of you would think it would, uh, would be wrong to have the doctors and your family meet outside of your presence and uh, decide not to tell you that they know that you're dying and only have a short time to live? I mean, anybody think that's the right thing to do? Anybody like that to be their, their experience? It'd be like Alex Trebek getting, you know, stage four pancreatic cancer, and everybody in the world knows but him, and we, and we can't tell. It, it, it really is so very un-American, because what, 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 we're Americans. We're individuals, right? Well, we, we've got, we got rights. I mean, we got this. We can take care of this. We can, we can get through this, right? We can, we can handle it. And nobody should presume otherwise. Anyway, Billy's parents tell her they've already got airline tickets they didn't tell her about. They're going to China the next morning, and they're leaving, right? They do everything they can do, as you see in this video, to keep Billy from coming 
because they're convinced, as well are some of the other immediate family members, that she's not going to be able to keep the secret. She's going to spill the beans if she shows up. But surprise of surprises, Billy goes and gets a ticket, and she flies to China. In this very next clip, we're going to see her arrive at Nine Eyes' apartment, where some of the immediate family is already gathered, and you can watch the family react with horror as she shows up because they're so confident she's going to just blow the whole thing. Let's, let's watch this clip. <笑>你这个傻孩子啊 我想你了<笑> Little, little light up here. There we go. So there we've got, right, Nine Eye and her sister, Billy's parents, and her uncle and family from Japan. Oh, they also moved away when their uh, son was a little, little, little guy. His name is Hao Hao. Uh, he's Billy's cousin. And there's a Japanese girl that he's been dating for three months that this fake wedding is being arranged for. You can kind of tell, right, that Billy's a little conflicted. Right? But she fights through it. She keeps the secret. Later that night, we find out that Billy discovers that everybody's staying at a lo local hotel. They're not staying with Nine Eye. I think she thought she'd be staying at Nine Eyes. And part of the reason for the hotel is they've got to keep everybody who knows what's really going on away from the family, away from Nine Eyes, so they don't break down in front of her and end up tipping her off. So here's a clip for, for you of her walking with her uncle. You just saw a glimpse of him. Uh, they're walking, uh, he's walking Billy to the hotel, and she gets another dose of instructions uh, not to tell Nai anything about what's going on. So, here you go.我为什么不能去这儿哎都回来人多住的宾馆有什么事有方便我先带你去好吧没事那个宾馆可好了新盖的啊哎呀贴着去吧我那钱有你忙的我自行的日本的癌症专家
上日本，你上哪里？在网上买。奶奶，奶奶她很爱你，知道吗？我知道。奶奶的病很严重。我知道。奶奶完全不知道她现在的病情。我知道。你一定要特别小心，千万不能告诉她。我知道，爸已经说了。你会难过，不过再难过，你也不要告诉他。我知道，他的时间不多了。我知道，我们也不想告诉他。我知道，无论如何，你也不要告诉他。So you think she's not supposed to tell her? Okay. <laughs> okay. From this point on in the movie, extended family starts showing up from all over the place, and most of them are coming for this wedding, thinking that it's a real thing. Right? There are a few close relatives who actually know what the situation is with Nai Nai, and Billy keeps engaging them through the movie. The ones that know. Uh, and asking them whether whether they shouldn't actually tell Nainai what's going on, and she's rebuffed in every single experience she has with that, which only really kind of adds to her frustration. For her part, Nainai goes full on into wedding planning. She suggests this. She says, "Okay, this couple has only been dating three months, so let's just tell everybody that that comes in that they've been dating for a year, you know, so there aren't any uncomfortable questions being asked." And the family's effort to keep this whole thing,、uh, this wedding, kind of simple,、uh, is just totally vetoed by Nai Nai, who rolls out the red carpet, plans this huge banquet, and the cost to the family just skyrockets.、Um, still, they hold the line. So the tension that Billy faces, and frankly we face as we're watching this,、uh, whether this whole thing is just wrong. Keeps rattling around in her brain and ours, even as funny things and heartwarming things and kind of some fun, fun things and even sad things kind of happen. So,、uh, like in such movies, there's a crisis that pops up that threatens to destroy this entire house of cards that the immediate family has put together. In this case, Nainai has a kind of a nasty coughing fit one evening. So she decides that she's going to go on her own to the hospital, and what she wants is for the doctor to prescribe some new medicine for her cough.、Uh, Nai Nai tells her sister、uh, not to tell anybody; she's going to just deal with this herself. Sounds like not a problem, right? Well, her sister rats her out, and there's a hilarious scene where the family finds out about this.、Uh, the two families, the two brothers,、uh, the two sons, and all their family get together. And they and they rush to the hospital, frantically trying to get there before the doctor actually spills the beans and tells Nai Nai the truth. Here, here's the clip of them getting rushing into the room where the Nai Nai and the doctor are are, are engaged.
你们干啥都跑来了？就你说的。那是你不说不说嘛？你总是埋怨我。你不跟我们说一声，你就来了？我没事儿，我去看看医生在哪儿。这、这、这、这，干啥呀？你们这么严肃、啊？我就是来换药的，没啥事儿。奶奶，你不舒服吗？我就是有点咳嗽，上回感冒的时候啊，没好彻底。我是想来呀、啊，换种药试试，说不定见效就好了呢。哎哎哎，大夫，啊，大夫，哪不舒服？看看，嗯，好。吸气，呼气，咳嗽。只<笑>是有些感染了。我都已经吃消炎药了，你给我开的药不好使，你给我开一点那个好些的药，行吗？让我快点好起来。这是我大孙子，还有两天就结婚了。啊，这样子，恭喜啊！这是我孙女儿，从美国回来的。This is from America. I went to school in the UK for many years. Oh, that's cool. Where do you live? Uh, I'm in New York. New York. I always want to visit New York. It's a very beautiful city. Yeah, it's very beautiful. Uh, question. Do you know about my grandma's condition? You说的啥呀？啊，哦，奶奶，她在英国学习，所以她会说英文。是吗？嗯，是的。啊，呃，宋大夫，我想问你。结婚了吗？哦，我还没有。小伙子长得这么俊，又是大夫，还会说英语，没结婚，不会吧？哇 ！How bad is she? You can tell me the truth. The cancer is quite advanced. Shouldn't we tell her? In her situation, most families in China would choose not to tell her. When my grandmother had cancer, my family didn't tell her. Isn't it wrong to lie? I mean, if it's for good, it's not really a lie. I mean, it's still a lie. It's a good lie. How's your grandmother? She passed away a few months after she was diagnosed. John and I, when you were a few months ago, 啊，我怀疑啊，你现在咳嗽应该是当时的感染源，还没有完全的恢复，啊，所以我建议我们要拍个片子，确认一下这个感染源的扩散。没有必要，我就是想换药。换药是没有问题，但是啊，我还是建议啊，你可以拍个片子。嗯<笑>对，所以你看 ，Billy 甚至尝试找医生，他训练在美国，所以他觉得他会有更多的美国人的支持，来同意他，而不告诉奶奶是错的。这还是不行，对吧？所以，如果你看这部电影，你有点生气，因为这个很病弱的女人被治疗这样，并且被藏在黑暗中。医生同意了改变药物，但他仍然要拍摄 X-ray， 
and she's waiting for that at the end of this clip. From, from here on out, the next chunk of the movie really take, revolves around the wedding. This is, this is an incredibly elaborate event, and, and something dramatic happens at the wedding, and frankly, I wasn't even really grasping why it happened as I was watching the movie until I had to sort of sit back and think about what I'd just seen and reflect on it a bit. But all of a sudden, what we see happen is that Billy has this opportunity that just sort of falls into her lap to allow Nai to find out what is really going on, the truth about her condition. The, you know, the thing that Billy has wanted her to know all along. But instead, what we see happen is that Billy springs into action to prevent that from happening. And it has to do with the test results from that x-ray that the doctor ordered up. So I just wanted to watch, and th this, this is toward the end of the wedding, and th there's some pictures being taken. This is where it all kind of comes unraveled for a second. <笑>你看这多好 你没看吗? 你看, okay, if you weren't conflicted yet, but just the basic lying to Nai Nai, you got to be now, right? 
I mean, really falsifying the test results. And Billy turns out to be the instigator. For, for Pete's sakes, what, what, what is going on? Well, I think this turn in the movie hangs on two things. The most important of which, I believe, is going to be the next clip we show you, which involves a late-night conversation between Billy, her dad, and her uncle on the eve of the wedding. And it's this conversation that I think kind of weaves its way into Billy's mind and heart, and it's, the, I think, the catalyst for our connection to something I think God wants us to see and hear this morning from his word. Take this clip in. Are you smoking? Oh. I, I thought you said he quit. I did. I will. Little Billy, what went away by trying to eat you? Billy, you see, she's young, be the mean man. You must have to see from Goja. You need a singing cannon to go to the church. She found her tongue from the one who tried to. 东方人是把生命看作是集体的，家庭、社会。你想告诉奶奶的事情，是因为怕担责任，因为这个责任太大了。如果你告诉了他，你就没有负担了。我们之所以不告诉奶奶的事情，就是为了分担她的思想压力。嗯 ，There it is, the breakthrough moment in the movie. I mean, whether you think lying to Nainai is wrong, whether you think falsifying the test results wrong, it's the love behind the actions. That butts up against our sensibilities, and it butts up against Billy's too. This idea is that that this is what family does. That this is what society should do. That we have a responsibility to kind of carry the burden for others, for those that we love. Oh, sure, sure. We 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 could tell Nai Nai she's only got months to live, and then the burden's off of us, right? The guilt of carrying that burden is off of our shoulders. Well, we'll just transfer that burden to Nai Nai. She can handle it. She'll carry the burden, trying to deal not only with our pain and our sorrow, but also the burden of not having long to live. Instead, here's what we're going to do. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to carry the burden for her, out of love. And what you see through the whole movie, if you watch the whole thing. Is a family that the family members that know 
are carrying this incredible weight, burdened down by grief, just trying their best to hold it together. At one point, Nainai approaches Billy's mom and says, hey, what's, what's wrong with your husband? His face is all puffy. Is he drinking again? Are you guys having trouble? The answer? No, he's just a tired. Right? It's a cover for the burden that he's carrying. You saw it at the wedding where the grandson has a tough time not just shedding tears as the pictures are being taken. And they got a cover for him. Oh, he's just tears of joy. That's what this is. There's this strange concept of bearing another's burdens out of love for them. And at the wedding, this idea of carrying the burden is still kicking around Billy's head. And we see her watching events unfold at the wedding. We see her watching Nainai, who's in her element, having the time of her life. She's totally full of joy, right? She's got all the family around. She's laughing. She's playing silly games. She's talking with all the guests. She's reminiscing with old friends, none of which she would have been experiencing had she known the prognosis. So Billy, and, and we, I think, as Americans, are torn. Something seems so very wrong with all this lying, but also something seems so weirdly right at the same time. And it totally messes with our heads and our minds. And I got to tell you, it lingered for me, at least for days, after I saw the flick. But I think this concept of bearing each other's burdens is something, frankly, we just don't do very well in the American church. Maybe we actually needed a picture of it through the lens of another culture to really grasp how much we miss the mark on this. I mean, remember, bearing Nainai's burden required the family to drop everything they were doing, to buy plane tickets, to return to China, to convince a grandson and a Japanese girl he's only been dating for three months to engage in a totally fake wedding, to pay for hotels, and all the wedding banquet and all the festivities, right? And to do that without bitterness or letting the burdens they're carrying drop and let Don I know for a second. When I think of the church in America, I think that we are so individualistic, so self-propelled, so independent, so self-sufficient that even as a church, we don't necessarily live out this biblical mandate for bearing one another's burdens. Check out this passage from the book of Galatians. It's written to the people in the church. It says this, brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you know, they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, they're doing something wrong, maybe sinning, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, of course, lest you be tempted while you're doing this, but bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which we know from other passages is to love God and love others. So the context in this particular passage is, of course, the church. Someone's caught in some sin, you know, we're to drop everything, right? To help that person be restored. The whole idea of restoration here is a medical term. It's like you, you break a bone, you're playing, let's say you're playing quarterback, your name is Smith, and you're playing for the Redskins, and you have a compound fracture of your leg in that game. Bone is sticking through the skin, right? 
you, you drop everything because this person is now the most important thing. And you get that person to the hospital where the bone can be reset and the leg restored. That's the whole idea of restoration there. It's all-consuming and it's all-important. You and I are drop what we are doing and love others by helping them escape the clutches of some maybe sin that they're involved in. Let me tell you, let me tell you how hard this is in America. I just ask you this question. When is the last time you actually shared a struggle that you have with sin or something that, you know, you tend to do that you know you shouldn't be doing with someone else and leaned on them for support in some way? Man, isn't that rare? It's rare that we open ourselves up to that kind of support, that kind of burden-bearing I had a fantastic opportunity recently. Someone came to me and, and said, basically, uh, hey, would you pray for me? They'd been pulled over for a DUI and had a court date, and the court date threatened to unravel uh, this opportunity this person had to go back to another country and see their family and their, and their kids. I got to pray. I got to keep up with what was going on. I got to sort of see if I could involve myself in the court system and get the date changed and work out stuff that way. It, it, was, it, was, it was awesome. But our knee-jerk tendency in America is to quickly erect those fences, don't we? We'll deal with that. We'll bear that burden alone. We wouldn't want anyone to know what we're going through, right? What would they say? When in reality, we're all going through stuff like that. We just do a good job of keeping it hidden, don't we? But dealing with sin stuff isn't the only context for bearing each other's burdens, right? Paul was on a missionary trip once, one of his uh, missionary journeys to plant churches all over the known world. And he's describing to the church at Corinth that he helped to set up the depression and the fear that he was experiencing at one point. And as he writes this letter to that church that he planted, here's, here's, what, he, here's what he tells them. For when we came into Macedonia... Our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without end, fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only his coming, but by the comfort with which he was comforted by you in Corinth, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. You get that, right? God who comforts the downcast, the depressed, the discouraged, those who feel alone, those who feel abandoned, those who feel lost, those who feel forgotten. God who comforts the downcast comforted us, Paul says. Oh, and notice this. How did God comfort Paul? Did God show up himself? No. Titus shows up. Titus dropped everything and went to bear someone else's burdens. And Paul, by that act, was comforted and strengthened. As Titus relayed, just how many people in Corinth were praying for and longing for and mourning over the afflictions Paul was experiencing. There were people who cared what Paul was going through. And someone showed up to let him know. Do you think we do this well? Do you think we know each other well enough to do this well? 
Do you think you share with others well enough that anyone would know just how poorly we do this? Because on the surface, everything is fine, isn't it? Just ask anybody in this room, how are you doing? I'm fine. Or are we so stuck in going it alone that we kind of sometimes wonder why the heck God isn't comforting us when God has actually designed the church family to be the ones that God uses to comfort us? If you're not in a small group, can I just tell you, you're probably going alone. It's almost un-American to be so transparent. Now listen, this stuff, this bearing one another's burdens, turns out it's a huge deal to God. I want to show you this passage. It just, it's a little bit disturbing, but it just shows you how far flung this whole concept goes. This is Jesus himself talking to his followers about what's going to happen when he returns, when he shows up. Here's how things are going to go. He uses the term son of man, which is what he called himself all the way through the book of Matthew. So Jesus says, when the son of man, when I get back, I'm going to be coming in glory. And all the angels I'm going to, are going to come with him. Then he's going to sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a sheep separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king, another term for himself, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So, okay, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to be in full up glory. He's going to bring all the angels with him. He's going to sit down on an equally glorious throne. It's going to be a sight for the ages. And everyone who's ever lived is going to be back to life and are going to be arrayed before him. And he's going to separate all of humanity into two groups. Just like the shepherd would go into a crowd, into a herd, and separate the sheep from the goats. Right? And to those on his right, he's going to direct them into the kingdom of God. And then Jesus actually is going to tell them why they're going there. Now, you would think, right, that Jesus is going to tell them the reason that they're allowed in. You figure you know what that's going to be, right? And if you've been in this church or any other good church, you probably know that Jesus might say, well, you've believed in me, you've trusted in me. You've, you've trusted in me to, to die for your sins, right? For the forgiveness of those sins. You've accepted the salvation that my death and resurrection has provided for you. You know? And because of this, you know, you've been baptized, maybe you've, you've joined a church, you've given some money, you've maybe served, maybe you uh, were in a worship team, maybe you were a preacher. Jesus didn't say any of that. No, Jesus goes right down to the nitty-gritty of what a person who's truly trusted in Jesus Christ, who is truly a follower of Jesus Christ, does on the ground. Pretty amazing, really. Here's what he says as he talks to the people who are about to enter the kingdom. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous, being totally amazed by this, because they expected to say, okay, it's just faith and faith alone. No, they're going to answer him. They say, Lord, when, when do we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? 
And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you uh, sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, he probably is going like this to all humanity, you did it for me. Then he's going to say to the goats on the left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, when, when do we ever see you hungry? Or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick in prison, right? When do we ever see you doing those things and not minister to you? Then he's going to answer them, saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. See, God thinks that bearing each other's burdens is a pretty big deal. What if we, as a church, were willing, like Nine Eyes family, to drop everything that we think is so important, that we're doing right for ourselves, spending on ourselves, saving for ourselves, and used our lives more to bear each other's burdens? Not just those in the church, but others. The hungry, the thirsty, the homeless, those in need of clothing, those who are sick, those in prison, those in need of dental supplies. What if it, be what if it became a lifestyle? What if we became a church family that did this within our own family right here, but also took it to the community outside of this? What if we were willing to experience the grief that Nine Eyes family experienced in bearing others' burdens so that they might not only get Jesus, but also get to allow God to use us to comfort them, to restore them, to strengthen them? Oh, sure. Gospel message for sure. But do you see the mechanism that God uses to make the gospel attractive? bearing each other's burdens. You know, what if we just tithe 10%? Yeah, we'd have the $25,000 in our bank account right now that it would take to support two families for two years with Homestretch, which is doing some incredible work getting homeless families back on their feet and self-sufficient. This organization is actively, actively looking to incorporate faith communities like ours to build personal relationships with these families. It's like a dream come true for what I want for us. But we kind of get to decide, don't we? Whether we're going to be the people that God uses to bear others' burdens or whether we're just going to be the goats who never had the time, never had the inclination to drop everything and were unwilling to be weighed down by the burdens for others so that they could be comforted. Listen, I've got to tell you, this, this is a fantastic movie. I'm going to have a viewing at my house uh, because there's some stuff at the end that we didn't show here that is worth uh, taking in. So I'll get, get that going in the next couple of weeks. But if, it's what a great picture of loving someone else to be weighed down by 
as you carry their burdens and loving them that way. I think it's pretty clear from the passage Jesus looked at, that Matthew, that God not only wants, but he kind of expects us to be seriously engaged in this. So we're going to do communion. Maybe it's not a bad time to reflect as you're taking some bread and some juice and saying, I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm so thankful for that, to be able to start thinking about, okay, how am I actually, well, yeah, I'm coming to church, taking communion, been baptized, I'm serving, I'm cleaning up, I'm setting up, I'm doing this kind of stuff, but am I really, am I, if I'm standing in front of Jesus Christ at the end of days, is he going to say, come on in, because you fed me, and you clothed me, and you gave me a drink, you visited me in prison and you cared about me when I was homeless and you cared about me when I was a stranger. Um, maybe we got some thinking to do about, you know, what our walk is really like. Maybe God will use communion to kind of get in our attention. Let me pray for us.